Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. And I love to sing new songs, and I love to sing old songs with new tunes and put it all together and praise the Lord. Amen? You might have noticed that song, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. That's actually a centuries combined uh, combination of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Those are his lyrics, but the chorus and the way the whole song arranged has never been heard anywhere except the tabernacle for two or three times now because Eddie and his tabernacle collective put that together to sing it as it is now. And so y'all pray that song has favor. I mean, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound with uh, uh, My Chains Are Gone by Chris Tomlin has gone around the world now. And that's the kind of song that ought to be sung everywhere because it's so beautiful with the old lyrics presented in the new way. And I just love the fact that Eddie was able to do that by God's grace and, and so powerful. Turn in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. So if you're newer to your Bible, you're a new Christian, haven't been reading your Bible as much, or a long-term Christian less familiar with where things are in your Bible, you might just want to turn to your table of contents and see where Lamentations is and then go there and you won't be turning this whole service. Uh, Those of you uh, that have been around a while may know that Lamentations is right after the book of Jeremiah and it's also by Jeremiah the prophet. And so as you're turning there, let me think again about Memorial Day and how on Memorial Day we pause. We pause and remember, acknowledging the loss of those veterans who paid the ultimate price to secure our liberty and our liberties, our freedom. And since 1776, I looked this up this week, the United States has been involved in over 79 wars or conflicts with over 1.3 million fellow Americans dying and 40,000 that are still counted as missing in action. And here's the numbers of the different wars. Civil War, 655,000 deaths. World War II, 405,000 plus deaths. World War I, over 116,000. Vietnam, 58,000. Korea, 36,000 plus. The Revolutionary War, around 25,000 deaths. The War of 1812, 15,000 deaths. In the Mexican-American War, 13,000 plus. Iraq, 4,500. Philippine-American War, 4,200. Afghanistan, over 2,400. The Spanish-American conflict, over 2,200. Of the 79, those are the top 12 as far as numbers of deaths that happen. When we think of our veterans, of course, Memorial Day reminds us that all gave some, some gave all, so that we could have our freedom secured. And of course, we think of the wonderful verse in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And we think about in the act of signing up and being drafted in some cases, there had to be a willingness to actually lay down the life. And for some, that actually happened. And so we're thankful for all our veterans who were willing to pay that ultimate price. And of course, we remember, we remember, we remember those that did. This past year, we've got another thing to remember. This Memorial Day, our thoughts also think about stopping and taking a little time to think about how difficult this past year has been to acknowledge our losses from COVID-19. 
Goodness gracious, a worldwide pandemic. 3.5 million deaths around the world have been attributed to COVID-19 so far. That is so many, and of course it'd be even higher if China would truly report their numbers. They've had over a million deaths, they just haven't told anybody. I think, you know, that's my opinion. We're nearly at 600,000 deaths in the United States, over 11,000 in Virginia, 13,000 in North Carolina. One dear lady from our church back in November, Linda Marshall. It's been a tough year. Here's how that compares to the Spanish flu from 100 years ago. Uh, it was a pestilence in 1918, 1919. During that time, one out of every three people that was alive on earth got the Spanish flu. So 33% worldwide infection with over 20 million dying, 675,000 in the United States. So very comparable for the United States then and now, but uh, many more around the world. And it's good to remember our losses. But I was thinking about Memorial Day and also the year we've had and how we're starting to come out of it. I thought about the other losses that have happened, the disruption to our way of life this past year. Absolutely every area of life has been affected by this global pandemic. And the best way I know how to talk about it and introduce this passage from Lamentations is um, to think about something called the Holmes Ray Stress Inventory. Uh, let me encourage you to look that up online uh, and print it out and take the test for your own self-awareness. But uh, I put copies of it down here and here as well if you want to grab one that's poorly printed by me, but at least you'll see what it is. The Holmes Ray Stress Inventory assigns points to 43 different areas of life, life events, that could happen to a person over the course of a year. And so it was just a tool, it's not gospel, it's just a tool that uh, psychologists developed to think in terms of how stressful your year's been and the toll it could have on you. And so it gives 100 points for the death of a spouse, 73 for a divorce, going through a divorce, 63 for the death of a family member, same as if you went to jail, 63 points, 53 for a major injury or illness. 50 for getting married, even though it's a happy time, it's a stressful time. 47 for getting fired. 45 for retiring. 44 for major change in behavior of a family member. 40 for pregnancy. 39 for gaining a new family member, even though that's a happy time. Birth, adoption, uh, someone moving in with you, an elderly relative or whatever. It's a disruption and it causes stress. 37 for the death of a close friend. Uh, I'm in grief right now for the loss of several of our tabernacle folk who I counted as friends, you know, in addition to thinking of family losses and friend losses and things. You get really close to people, don't you? 36 for changing jobs, 30 for being foreclosed on, 29 for major changes at work, 29 for when your kids leave home, 29 for in-law troubles, 26 for school changes, 25 for major living condition changes, 24 for a revision of personal habits, 20 for changing conditions at work, 19 for changes at places you go, like church, recreation, social activities, 16 for changes in your sleeping habits, 15 for changes in number of family get-togethers or changes in eating habits, and the last one on the list is 11 for the minor violation of a law. It's stressful to get a parking ticket and those type things. But here's how that grades out, or at least how they, they give guidance on these things. 150 points or less indicates you have a relatively low amount of life change and a low susceptibility to a stress-induced health problems. One of the reasons I'm talking to you about this is I'm concerned for you and me that if we don't deal with stress in biblical ways, 
then uh, we could have a major health problem here in the next couple years and that we're in a country and a world that's all facing some of the same things together and that could be true. So 150 points or less, not too big a deal, but 150 to 300 points indicates you have a 50% chance of a major health breakdown in the last two years, in the next two years, sorry. Whoa. And if you get over 300 points, it raises the odds to 80% according to the Holmes Ray statistical prediction model. Now, earlier in May, I was with uh, 25 pastors of uh, SBCV churches in Richmond, and it was a very powerful learning time and talking about what we'd all experienced together and our churches had this past year and the people of our church. And one of the pastors brought up this model to kind of help make sure we're dealing with things in the appropriate way and making sure we're, our, our faith is shining during this time too in the midst of dealing with stress. And he said that most of us were well above 200 points for this past year, and many of our church people were as well. So you're getting up there to where your health is going to be an issue if you don't deal with your stress in a good way. Lamentations. Jeremiah the prophet wrote Lamentations in his grief over the devastation of Jerusalem by Babylon in 586 B.C., and Jeremiah understood that ultimately Babylon had been God's instrument to judge Israel because of Israel's many sins. Babylon was not their biggest problem. God was. But God was also their biggest solution, their only eternal solution. And that's true for us as well. You know, we think about this problem, we think about that problem. Ultimately, if you're off track in your relationship with God or you don't know him at all, God's your biggest problem. But he's also your biggest solution if you'll turn to him. Jeremiah writes about the grief that he faces and he acknowledges it and all the loss and change that had happened because of Babylon being God's instrument to judge Jerusalem. But he also gives great hope and it is so encouraging to think about the Bible because if Israel would repent and turn back to God, ancient promises of forgiveness and restoration would begin to kick in. Isn't that neat? It's so ordered that even when you're far from God, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. If you'll humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. And so he has so ordered and placed things that when you and I turn back to God, when we turn to him with all of our hearts, ancient promises begin to kick in that leads to God's forgiveness and God's restoration in our life. Now, the consequences of their sin or our sin could cost them years and even decades of problems, but they would once again have God's peace and be aligned with his eternal plans, even though there might continue to be temporary suffering. Lamentations 3, verses 17 to 27 is what we're going to read. Jeremiah is talking to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. 
The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Stop and remember. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for Memorial Day. And we thank you for the book of Lamentations. We thank you for giving us a five-chapter book of the Bible that is um, Jeremiah's poem, his song, his journal about the devastation that was around him when he saw Jerusalem fall, when he saw his people die, when he saw his women mistreated, when he saw his young people carried off to Babylon for re-education. Truly, he was grieving so much. There would be no more temple sacrifices anytime soon because there was no more tabernacle. There was no temple. And yet, Lord, in the midst of the devastation, he saw your hand. You had judged, but you were drawing back with your love. You were dealing with his sin and pointing the entire nation back to you. Lord, America desperately needs an awakening. We need a revival. And we will not find it in self-effort. We will not find it in turning to our ways instead of yours. We will find it by recognizing that you, have, you want to use this global pestilence, this time of um, holding back the rain, this time of holding back prosperity to get us to look away from ourselves and look to you and be saved, look to you and be revived. And so, Lord, we pray that this Communion Sunday, this Memorial Day Sunday, Lord, that we'll be part of the solution, not part of the problem, that we will truly turn from our wicked ways and turn to you, receive your forgiveness, and walk in your ways. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, you probably don't have a lot of exposure to the book of Lamentations, but let me tell you, it is a wonderful book. Five chapters, and in the Hebrew language, it is acrostic. It's acrostic. Acrostic means you begin each verse with the next letter of the alphabet, right? How many, uh, how many um, letters are there in the Hebrew alphabet? Does anybody know? 22. Somebody probably out there said 22. Look at chapter 1. What's the very last verse of chapter 1? 22. Look at chapter 2. What's the very last verse of chapter 22? 22. Look at chapter 4. What's the very last verse of chapter 4? 22. Look at chapter 5. What's the very last verse of chapter 5? 22. Look at chapter 3. What's the very last verse of chapter 3? 66. Well, what's happening there? Well, chapter 1, he goes through the Hebrew alphabet as he gives verse by verse. Chapter 2, same thing. Chapter 4 and 5, same thing. In chapter 3, he gets really creative, and verses 1, 2, and 3 all are with Aleph. One, two, and uh, four, five, and six are all with Beth, and it goes all the way down through the Hebrew alphabet there, which is pretty cool, a masterpiece of the Holy Spirit. And so, did you hear that though? Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beth is the second, so Aleph, Beth, in Greek it's Alpha, Beta, and we hear alphabet in there, don't we? So the alphabet. And so Lamentations is a masterpiece on grief given to us by God the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah's grieving mind, his grieving heart, his pen. And as I said earlier, the circumstances for him writing were his just absolute devastation after Jerusalem had been crushed by Nebuchadnezzar. 
And uh, in 586 BC, the temple itself was destroyed. It took, they took all the temple treasure back to Babylon, and they also took the best and brightest young people Israel had to be re-educated, to be brainwashed in Babylonian schools. And uh, it was just a time of lament and mourning and grief on every side for the deaths they'd seen, for the changes they'd seen, for the loss of their young people they'd seen, so many different ways. And we can learn a lot about dealing with our own sense of loss and change and grief by looking at how Jeremiah handled this. So we're going to look at four principles for when you are dealing with loss and change from Lamentations chapter 3 here. The first one is in verses 17 through 20. Remember what you have lost. In verse 17 he says, God, you have taken away the sense of peace and prosperity that I had. You know, Israel had been blessed of God in so many ways. God's chosen people, they had experienced times of peace and prosperity when they were walking with the Lord. They had experienced times of hardship when they had departed from Him. The book of Judges shows a nasty cycle that they would get into of turning back to God and then declining in their faith, getting judged by God, uh, having all kinds of problems, realizing that they had sinned, turning back to God, and just this cycle that went on in there. And we've seen that in our own lives many times as well haven't we? More times than we would like. In the midst of their peace and prosperity, they had forgotten their God. They decided to do what they wanted to rather than what God commanded of them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's what winds up happening in America. In our peace and our prosperity, we say, hey, we've got it all made. And well, uh, you know, I know that uh, walking with God got us here, uh, but uh, let's go away from God a little bit, do what we want to do instead. Did God really say? We go back to arguing with ourselves and Satan coming into our minds the same way as he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and convincing us that somehow God's holding out on us by what he said or God doesn't understand. We think our parents don't understand, our grandparents don't understand, God doesn't understand. And so we say, even though it says this, we will do this, and we start experiencing the built-in consequences of sin. I wish everyone could understand that. Anything in the Bible that's called sin has built-in consequences that will be experienced if you do that thing. So if you lie to somebody, the built-in consequences is the break of trust between you and them when they've discovered that you'd lie. you've lied, right? And every sin has built-in consequences that keep us from experiencing God's best in our life. So it's always in our best interest to do what God says in His Word than to do what we think we ought to do, and yet we do what we want to anyway. Here's what happens. Listen to this. God will not let you perpetually use the peace and prosperity He has brought into your life to sin against Him. He just won't do it. He will not allow you to take the things he's given you to bless you and to make you live the kind of life that, he can, that would be in your best interest. He will not, you know, in that case, having given you all that stuff, watch quietly while you use them for your own glory or for your own sinfulness or whatever like that. When you pull away from him, he often withdraws. He did this with Israel. He'll do it with us. He withdraws his protection and blessing from us. He never stops loving you, but he won't assist you in living like a practical atheist. He'll never stop loving you, but he's not going to assist you in misusing the good gifts he's given to you to live like a pagan. He just won't do it. And over the decades before this, God had not protected Israel from the outward threat of heathen Babylon so they could practice the idolatry of Babylon inwardly. Or to say it another way, inwardly, Many of their hearts were aligned with the sins of Babylon, so God decided to no longer protect them from the outward threat of Babylon. 
Let that sink in for a moment. Now, he had told them this very thing would happen back in Deuteronomy 28. Uh, in fact, he used, he pretty much, without giving the name Babylon, had told them it would be Babylon that would one day take them away captive. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. So, that's the fifth book of the Bible, the second giving of the law, the Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses is giving his final words to them. He's not going to go into the promised land with them. But he wants them to experience God's blessing there and to understand what the consequences of defying God would be and also give them hope that even still God would let them do a U-turn if they would remember he would return to them. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 47, down through verse 51, he says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, he's speaking about when you've come into the land, when you're occupying it, when the Lord blesses your socks off there in the promised land, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in need of everything. And God will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Verse 49, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies. In Daniel 7, Daniel the prophet speaks of Babylon as being a being like a lion with eagle's wings. As strong and ferocious as a lion, getting there as quick as an eagle gets there. A nation whose language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock, the produce of your land, until you're destroyed. They shall not leave you grain or new wine or oil, or the increase of your cattle or the offspring of your flocks, until they have destroyed you. Goodness. So they had inwardly been doing many of the sins of Babylon. God no longer kept Babylon, the country, from outwardly taking them over. And he had told them that would happen. We'll look at verses 19 and 20. Uh, three uh, different times. It's only two in yours, but it's three in the Hebrew. Remember, he uses. Remember. Underline remember in verse 19 and verse 20. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. Verse 20 is very interesting because it just says remember there once, but in Hebrew it says zakar. That's the word for remember. Zakar, zakar. Remember, remember, O my soul, and sink within you because of what you've lost, because you just had to have your sin. Remember what has happened to you. We have to take time to remember. Another way to say it is we need to take time to acknowledge what we've lost. And especially when there's a connection with our sin, we need to connect it with our sin. It's not always related to our sin. Sometimes we suffer because of the sins of others. Sometimes we suffer because of Adam and Eve's original sin that brought sin into the world. We want to remember and acknowledge our loss. Let the whole weight of it sink into your being. In America, we don't take time to hardly ever remember, do we? We don't take time to grieve. Uh, I, th I find so admirable the practice of our Jewish friends who sit shiva, it goes all the way back to Genesis 50 when Jacob died. They mourned for him for seven full days. And a modern Jewish person will sit Shiva for seven days. He'll be at their house. They'll be at their house and have people come by. And for seven straight days, they will do no work. They'll just talk to people about their loved one that's been lost. They'll acknowledge the loss. It's a powerful time of grieving. And we don't take the time to do that. We want to move on so quick that often we move right on and make terrible decisions rather than put it in its right place. Lamentations is Jeremiah sitting Shiva for Jerusalem, so to speak, isn't it? It's him acknowledging that 
it's going to be a long time before Jerusalem can ever recover from the devastation that it had received. In this little book, he acknowledges that Jerusalem has been devastated. So many had died at the hands of the Babylonians. Some of their women had been defiled. Ter- terrible things had happened. He acknowledges the, the temple being destroyed, ending for now the worship of, uh, of bringing sacrifices uh, for your sins. And they couldn't hold any of the annual festivals for years to come. He acknowledges all that. He acknowledges how the country's in economic turmoil and how the best and brightest young people had been carried off to Babylon schools for brainwashing. People like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and many of them would probably give in to the ways of Babylon. And he wondered, have, have we taught him enough so that Daniel will be God's person in the midst of that Babylonian world he's now in? He shouldn't have to be there. We should have been right as a country. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they should be in Jerusalem and be our great future leaders. And instead, now they're in Babylon. Will they be faithful or unfaithful like we have been? Jeremiah acknowledged the reality of what they'd lost, and so should we. Remember, remember. You ought to take a little time to think about your losses from this past year and how that could, apart from God, just consume you. Without God's mercies, that could consume you and knock you out. Well, the second thing is from verses 21 to 24. Another remember, but this time remember what you as a believer can never lose. Verse 21, this I recall, Jeremiah says, therefore I have hope. I love how he says that. Jeremiah is pushing his mind, into his mind, the truths he's learned from God. He he made himself look at his circumstances through the glasses of faith rather than just be overwhelmed by the circumstances. Some turn away from their faith because of their circumstances. But Jeremiah was turning to his faith in the midst of his circumstances, and so should we. He's saying, these circumstances will not define me. My reaction to these circumstances can be different because I look what he says next in verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Just like God had provided manna every morning for Israel when they were in the wilderness, God will provide fresh examples of his love to me every day, Jeremiah says. Despite sitting here in this devastation and it's not going to be a while before this country gets rebuilt, he says, every morning I'm going to get new mercies, new compassions from God. Every day there will be new evidences of his love, even though we've got these formidable things to face. That's as true today as when Jeremiah wrote it, verse 23. Great is your faithfulness, O God, right? It's as true today as when Jeremiah wrote it in the midst of this heartache, heartbreaking times. It's as true today as in 1923 when Thomas Chisholm wrote, Great is thy faithfulness, the great hymn. If you've never heard of Thomas Chisholm, he experienced times of sickness that kept him out of work. And then to pay the bills, he'd have to work two or three jobs when he could work, and that exhausted him too. And whether he was lean or had a lot and was catching up, he had the Lord's mercies in his mind. And so he looked to Lamentations 3, and out came the wonderful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. All I have needed, Your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. It's as true today 
as it was 50 years ago when two new parents were concerned about the world they were bringing their new baby into, their first baby. And Bill and Gaithier, Bill and Gloria Gaithier sat down and wrote, Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow, and I want to. Jeremiah said, and Thomas Chisholm said, and Gloria Gaithier said, there are so many losses to face in these sin-stained days, but if you are a Christian, you can say, the Lord is my portion, so I'm going to put my hope in him, even in the midst of these hard things I am facing. It's kind of neat. Jeremiah was grieving, but what was he doing? He was also trusting God, wasn't he? He remembered what he'd lost. He remembered what he could never lose. And you need to do that too. What you could never lose because of your faith in Jesus. You can never lose the forgiveness of your sins. You can never lose your eternal life. You can never lose your relationship with God. You can never lose the indwelling Holy Spirit, your reserved place in heaven, your future new body that you're going to get to use on a new earth that will never have any influences of sin on it. Woo! Remember not only what you've lost, but what you can never lose. Well, that leads to the third thing Jeremiah teaches us here. We need to wait on and serve the Lord rather than make reckless decisions. Uh, look at verse 25 again. He says, the Lord is good to those who do what? Who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Our problem after a loss, after a change, is often moving too quickly and moving in ways forbidden by God. We think, oh no, if I don't get it now, it'll never happen. And so we make reckless, sinful decisions as if this world was all there is. But this world is not all there is. We've got a life after this one with God. And so many times we see after a death or after a breakup, often a Christian jumps into an ill-advised relationship and hasty decisions should not be made in the year of loss. Hasty decisions should not be made in the year of change. Hasty decisions should not be made in the year of grief. That's why Jeremiah said, wait on the Lord. Our tendency when we've been devastated by circumstances and we wonder where is God and all this is to be like the rat in the maze trying to get out, right? And so we make frantic decisions this way and that way. And some of those decisions we make while we're moving forward in our own strength rather than waiting on the Lord, some of those decisions we make cost us years of poor, bad consequences because of those sinful choices. He says, wait, wait, don't move too quickly right now. Wait on the Lord. Talk a decision over with trusted Christian friends and leaders. Don't say things that you can't take back. Don't do things that will have long-term consequences you'll have to dig out from. Don't walk away from your faith in God during a time like that. Cling to God more than ever. As Job modeled in Job chapter 1, he loses almost everything. And even his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? And, and we don't fault her. She was grieving too. That's, her, her heart didn't want to go another minute forward. But hopefully she was inspired by her husband's faith. He said, shall we accept good from the hand of the Lord and not bad? He's sovereign over all things. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, for a faith like that. In verse 27, he especially relates this to the young people. He says in verse 27, It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. When you're a young man, commit to serve Christ no matter what, young men, young women. Commit to serve him now. He'll see you through. Jeremiah says this is probably the worst thing I've experienced in all my life, but what I did as a child when God came and called me, and I said, I'm just a youth God, so you can't use me. He said, don't say you're just a youth. I'm going to use you. 
And in part, he had brought Jeremiah to the spiritual maturity where in this moment, things like lamentations would come from his pen. And there's truths like that in your life. Things forged in youth as you've sought the Lord that will see you through when you need it later on. I bet that was inspirational to a few folks back in Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they read those words in Babylon. They were certainly examples of young people who did not compromise their faith, but they let their light shine amidst Babylon's relentless re-education scheme. And whether it's schools or Facebook or whatever, there are relentless re-education schemes going on for children of the children of God right now. Don't be duped. Don't be fooled. Go with eternal truth in a day of shifting sand foundations that will not last. And in fact, so many things that are happening right now and accepted by everybody will be different in less than 10 years. It's happening that fast and even faster, right? So if you stick with the foundation of the Word of God, you will always have an anchor as these changing winds and changing seas happen. Look at verse 31 in chapter 3 there. He says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Jeremiah says, he's gotten our attention. God's gotten our attention. But this is no time to think he's cast us off. The ancient promises will kick in if we avail ourselves of them. Those who wait on the Lord don't forget that God has a purpose and plan for their life. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. So you're in Lamentations. Jeremiah is just the book next to it. There on the left. Jeremiah chapter 29. And many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11. We're going to put it up here. Such a great verse. God says, for I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Some of you have a poster of that somewhere in your house, or you maybe put it on your locker at school or one of your books at school. And it's a great word for them and for us. They were the first audience. We're the audience now. And we can draw from it that God has a purpose and plan for our lives. But everyone here should know the context that Jeremiah 29 was given in. Look at verse 1 of Jeremiah 29. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts to you, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, which I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is a letter to them as they live there. Look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And only then does he give the word, after telling them this is going to last 70 years, you guys, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, only then does he say, I know the plans I have for you. They were going to live out God's plans for them for 70 years. Now listen, if Daniel was 14 when he went to Babylon, he'd be 84 by the time he got to go back to Jerusalem. This means many of the people he was writing to, the older ones, were going to die in Babylon, never get back to Jerusalem. They were never again going to see what they had rejoiced in when they were younger. Jeremiah was writing to counter the false prophets who were saying, all this will go away and then we'll have prosperity again. It's going to be real quick. He's calling for faith and fortitude for the long haul, right? Now, knowing that, look what he says in verse 4, verse 5. 
While you're there in Babylon, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. He says, hey, Jews, while you're there in Babylon, get your Jewish son a good Jewish daughter to marry. Get your Jewish daughters a good Jewish boy to marry and those things, right? Perpetuate the faith while you're there. Verse 7, and seek the peace, seek the shalom, not of Jerusalem, but of Babylon, of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets deceive you, nor listen to their dreams, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. What's the purpose and plan he had for them? To be faithful in the midst of Babylonian conditions, even as their hearts long to be back in Jerusalem. And why they're there, seek the shalom of Babylon, not Jerusalem, so that one day the faith that they have preserved and passed along to their children and grandchildren, or as their children and grandchildren rejected it, ministered to other good Jews that would pass it along to other good Jews, that there would be a remnant of those who had sought God ready to one day, 70 years later, return to Jerusalem. In other words, they were to make decisions that would bless where they were temporarily at, thinking about where their descendants would be at a future time. I wish we could snap our fingers, pray the right prayer, and have instantaneous revival in our churches and awakening in America. It may not come for decades. It may not come at all. The next thing might be the rapture and then tribulation conditions and then the Lord coming. The best is yet to come for believers. We know that because Christ is going to reign on earth and we get to reign with him. But we're not in Mayberry. We're not in Jerusalem. Our society is more like Babylon right now. As we're faithful to the faith in these conditions, as we wait on the Lord and do what he would have us do for him during this time, He's preserving things for the future. Christ promised to build his church and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. If the worldwide expansion of the faith is like the wave that you see at a football game, once upon a time, America was up, right? Right now, Asia's up for Jesus and Africa's up for Jesus and we're not, we're down. Would it be great to see another time where we're up again with revival and awakening and that? But the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our job is to be faithful. And as we're faithful, he'll determine the scope of our fruitfulness and wait on the Lord. Do not make sinful decisions. Even as Israel longed to be back in Jerusalem, they were to be faithful and fruitful followers of God's ways in Babylon. Even as we long for the new earth, we are to be faithful and fruitful followers of Jesus on this old earth. Remember what we've lost. Remember what you could never lose. Wait on and serve the Lord rather than make reckless decisions. And that just leaves us one thing, and we'll look at it quickly because it leads into communion. Verses 40 through 42, identify and repent of any sins contributing to your loss. Look at verse 40 back in Lamentations 3. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. He says, let us turn back to the Lord. He says, Lord, you haven't pardoned. And the reason is they hadn't repented yet. (laughs) You can't be forgiven of sins you haven't repented of. You can be forgiven of all sins you will repent of. But if you remain in a defiant posture toward God, you will continue to experience the built-in consequences of those sins. He says, Lord, you haven't pardoned. But you would if if we would just turn to you. 
If we'd lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven, then we would experience all those ancient promises kicking back in for us. Jeremiah writes this because it was Israel's great hope and expectation. Way back in Deuteronomy, I read you one passage. Another passage says, when you're there in that land and you're experiencing the built-in consequences of your sin, if you will turn back to God, he'll turn back to you and one day he'll bring you back to the promised land. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, last turn for you, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, turn there. 2 Chronicles 7, when Solomon dedicated the temple, in the book of 2 Chronicles, it's also told in the book of the Kings, told and retold because it's that important, it's, it's doubly emphasized. Um, in chapter 6, Solomon, as he prayed to God about what would happen at the temple, he prayed about different situations. When we're experiencing a time of famine because we've turned from you. When we're experiencing a time of no rain because we've turned from you. When our enemies have whooped us and taken us away captive because we've turned from you. Lord, when we finally get it and when we turn back to you, won't you forgive us and heal our land? Won't you do that? Won't you do that? And from there, you know what God promises in 2 Chronicles 7.14. So uh, we're going to put it up here for you. 2 Chronicles 7.14. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. But look at what God says in verses 12 and 13 before verse 14. It's not up there. You've got to have your Bible to see it. Verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, Solomon, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, the crop, or send pestilence, and COVID-19 is a form of pestilence, viruses are pestilences, among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will understand that their circumstances have the hand of God on them to get our attention and to give us time to turn to him before it's too late. He could just wipe us all out, dead. Instead, he says, I'm giving you this as a grace to get your attention because there's only one thing worse than experiencing hell on earth, and that's experiencing hell forever, right? So when you have a hellish time on earth and your circumstances, your situations, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a promise given to Israel. We look to it by extension. The book of Romans promised us that all things written, even in Old Testament days, are there for our learning. What we learn from that verse is that when we have a block between us and God because of our sin, if we will confess it as sin, he'll hear, he'll forgive, and he'll start the restoration process in our lives. Bow your heads, please. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Mm-hmm.